Martha Van Houten, and each week I'm here with Brian Buck, lead pastor at Oaks Parish, to go a little deeper into Sunday sermon and to keep the conversation going throughout the week as we journey together in learning what it means to abide in Christ for the renewal of all things. So let's dive in. Welcome back to the Oaks Parish Podcast. Hello, Brian. Happy Monday. Thanks, Martha. Good to be here. You had a big weekend because you welcomed a new member into your family. Do you want to tell us about it? We did. Well, back in April, uh, we lost our dog Rosebud of almost 14 years, and she had really been the... uh, the household dog that had grown up with us, the family dog that had grown up with us um, when the kids were little. So it was uh, it was a significant loss. And yeah. uh, we spent the the summer kind of grieving and, and missing her, uh, particularly day in and day out and kind of all the little ways. And so starting back in September or August, Amanda was just on the hunt for uh, a new dog. And we had our eye on golden retrievers, which can be expensive when you buy them from a breeder. So we were needing a particular type of situation that fit our budget and uh, somebody that we felt like was was trustworthy uh, to buy a dog from. And, and sure enough, uh, first of November, <clears throat> after many, many conversations that Amanda had 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 with people, uh, you know, from Craigslist to wanted ads in the Oregonian, whatever classifieds, we finally found the right situation. And there was oh. a family that had their last litter of golden retrievers. Uh, they lived on the border of Idaho. So last Friday, uh, we drove to Idaho wow. and picked up a golden retriever puppy, seven weeks old. She was the spiciest of the litter. Uh, giving her siblings all kinds of trouble. So we named her Pepper and we now have her at home. And it's like uh, we've had a baby again. Uh, Last night, Amanda was up at 1 a.m. Grayson was up at 4 a.m. And I was up at 6 a.m. So we are all taking taking shifts, caring for the baby. (laughs) Welcome back. You sent one off to college. (laughs) <laughs> Welcome to my baby. Just gluttons for punishment. <laughs> exactly. Now, did you have a lot of pets growing up or was your family dog Rosebud? Was she kind of your first? Yeah, I had a dog. Uh, we had a couple of dogs growing up, um, particularly when I was in middle school. But by the time we got to high school, uh, we had a dog. Uh, for a while. And then we went a time without a dog. So yeah, they were kind of in and out of our life in my childhood. Yeah. Yeah, How about you? Now you guys are dog people. Uh, Yeah. I don't know if you can hear, can you hear my dog right now? Losing his mind in the background. Okay. He's barking a lot. (laughs) He's he's excited about Pepper. He is excited about Pepper. He'd love to meet her. Uh, We had two different dogs growing up. The first uh, we got when I was probably just three or four years old. He was a half Sheltie, half Cocker Spaniel mix, I think, named Duncan. And he was a cattle dog, you know, so he tried to herd us around the house yeah. all the time. He had a lot of hair. 
So he shed a lot of hair, but he was very sweet, um, kind, happy-go-lucky dog. And I think I definitely developed a love for dogs because of Duncan. Then after that, when I was in middle school or early high school, I think we got a new dog. We were looking for a smaller, more cuddly, kind of hypoallergenic dog. So we got a miniature poodle and we named her Phoebe after Phoebe the deacon in Paul's letter to the Romans chapter 16. So she had a lot to live up to and we had high expectations for her. I thought you were about to say you named her after the Phoebe on Friends. (laughs) No, no, Uh, we probably could have. I was watching Friends maybe a little bit then, but I've watched it more as an adult than I did (laughs) when it was live. No, Deacon, Deacon Phoebe was the was the inspiration for that but she was really she just preferred my dad over everyone else I don't think he wanted it that way but she just really chose him and could be kind of snotty to the rest of us which was super disappointing so after Jeff and I got married I really wanted to redeem that experience and get my own kind of fluffy lap dog that would love me in all the ways that Phoebe never could or would so that's how we came to get our current dog Benedict, whom we call Benny. And besides Jeff and Leo, Benny is really the the delight of my life. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. I'm glad that works out. And it rings true because uh, Rosebud was our former dog and our form, former family dog. She was part Corgi, part Jack Russell. And Corgis can be very temperamental. Okay. Um, they can be very judgmental. They can be standoffish. And my daughter, Grayson, towards the end of, of Rosebud's life was constantly lamenting that she wasn't cuddly. Yeah. And so when we had the opportunity this time around to get a new dog, she was like, I want a breed that will love me. Yeah. (laughs) So we arrived at a golden. Oh, I'm sure then they are, they are just the friendliest of dogs is, is my understanding from others that have had that. Well, that's good. I'm happy for your family to have pepper now. And I hope some good pepper stories make their way into your sermons in the coming months and so forth. Maybe this Sunday. Maybe this Sunday. We'll see what she does. (laughs) All right. Well, I'm really excited to share about this next thing that's coming up for all women at Oaks Parish. And that's our women's Advent celebration on Sunday, December 3rd, starting at 5 p.m. in our parish hall. Our director of women's formation, Karen Howells, has been planning this incredible time of celebration reflection and connection for the women. So all are invited to attend to even bring a friend or a family member. And together we will enjoy some festive treats. Um, If you're the creative type, there will be all sorts of greenery and other materials to create a holiday wreath or a centerpiece for your table this season. We'll reflect together on a short Advent meditation as well. And then Perhaps most importantly, we'll just get an opportunity to step away from our homes before the season really hits that peak of busyness and spend some time together. So if you're listening and you're a woman at Oaks Parish, we would love for you to attend. Please come. And if you're listening and you're a man at Oaks Parish, we'd love any women, you know, your spouse, your mom, whoever she is to attend also. So whatever you can do to encourage her to come or to make it possible for her to come even Um, whether that's taking on some extra details and the Sunday night routines or whatever it is, please do encourage her to attend. Um, Personally, I'm excited for this time together. Do you want to add anything to that, Brian? Yeah, just reiterate that, that uh, it's going to be a great time. And uh, 
if your husband um, help your wife get there. Yeah, that's nice. Thank you. Well, let's dive into the fourth chapter of First Samuel, in which we've moved from the tabernacle to the battlefield. And battle has been waged between Israel and the Philistines. And we see Israel acting in desperation and fear and bringing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord into the camp, basically as a weapon to aid them against their enemies, which really just serves to kind of rile up the Philistines. And they end up defeating Israel, capturing the Ark. And then Eli hears this report that Israel's been defeated. Two of his sons have been killed. The Ark has been captured and Eli himself dies. Then there's this other strange part where his daughter-in-law gives birth and commemorates the whole experience by naming the child Ichabod, meaning the glory has departed from Israel. So it really appears to be ending at the end of this chapter, at least on a grave note. So perhaps Israel thought it was a good idea for the Ark to be there for the battle. Maybe it was something you mentioned this that they'd done previously, but they seem to do it this time in a way that was sort of just bringing God along for the ride. They didn't consult God. They didn't ask for direction, wisdom, understanding, or even help. It's like they drew up their plans for battle and had God sort of just hovering in the margins to be there as a safeguard for their battle more than anything. And we do this too, right? We head into a struggle or a difficult situation or an unknown scenario. And it's almost like we're saying, okay, we're heading out into the battle. Are you coming with us, God? You know, are you behind me here? But what are the ramifications we experience of just bringing God along for the ride? I think it makes our our relationship with him transactional versus relational. Mm-hmm. Amanda and I have owned three houses in our adult life, uh, one in Atlanta, two here in Portland. Uh, two of these purchases didn't necessarily align with Amanda's vision for our home. Um, the, the kitchen is a really important part um, of our home for Amanda because she primarily loves to bake and it's just, it's a hobby for her. It's a passion. It's something that, that uh, she really enjoys doing. But in these decisions, the financials were most important to me. And in a couple of these instances, despite the misalignment of vision, I pushed us into a decision to buy uh, a fact that my mentor reminds me of (laughs) whenever we talk (laughs) about establishing shared vision Mm. in marriage. And when we ask God, when we pray a prayer like, Lord, what would you have for me? What would you have for us? It's a prayerful means of establishing shared vision with God. God is, after all, our spiritual spouse. Uh, Many contemplative authors speak of God in that way. And when we bring God along for the ride, we're missing out on that relational intimacy that the process could bring. And ultimately, it has the potential to fall short of what could have been. What could have been in our relationship with God or what could have been in the situation. Yeah. So in some cases, things may go like terribly wrong because we were so out of step with God's intentions or so outside of his vision. And other times, and perhaps this happens even more often, we get exactly what we intended to get, but we missed out on something more 
that God would have for us, whether like you're saying that's deeper intimacy with him or a higher calling or growth or the fruit of the spirit growing in our lives. And a lot of this seems to come down to lordship. So perhaps it's a question of whether we're seeking to build our own kingdom rather than working as a kingdom bearer in God's kingdom. So what may be some signs that we're using God for our own gain or um, to follow our own vision rather than consulting or following him? The answer that mainly comes to mind is a demanding spirit. You know, strangely, we often demand that God help us serve the idols of our heart. Then we become disappointed when he doesn't help us with that. When it doesn't work out, we blame him for the failure. And then at the end of it all, so many times we turn to other idols to comfort ourselves. <laughs> you know, there's, there's so many different examples, even as I described that process, I know that there are ways that all of us can, can relate to that process, but there is a tremendous amount of turmoil that happens when we live this way. We live with this demanding spirit that we want God to serve at our disposal. Um, it results in a life of loneliness, isolation, frustration, anger, disappointment. On the other side, there is an amazing amount of peace we experience when we are simply present to his lordship. I, I love that prayer, Lord, what would you have for me or what would you have for us? because it invites us just to be present with his lordship that we don't have to look back uh, with regret in the past. The cross is taking care of all that, that uh, we don't have to be anxious or worried about the future. Christ defeated sin and death. He ascended into heaven. He's reigning over the whole universe at the right hand of God. We can simply rest in his reign. And yeah, sometimes uh, the answers come easy in life. Other times it's way more complex and it feels like we're, you know, we're groping our way through the darkness, so to speak. And there's just something so restful about the salvation that we find in Christ because we don't have to have it all figured out. Um, we can just rest in his Lordship. Hmm. Yeah. And so what I sense you saying too, is that if we can like take inventory of our own hearts with some honesty and humility and determine whether there's peace or turmoil in our spirit, we can probably gauge whether or not we're kind of dragging God along on our mission or following his leading. It's not even just in the outcome, you know, things may not go as well when God isn't in the midst of them, but even beyond that, it's like our hearts and our bodies and our souls even know when we've held God off at a distance because we're designed to connect with our creator and our Lord and to, to worship and submit our hearts and our lives to him. Yeah. Some of this can feel like we're pushing a rope. Mm -hmm. We feel like a tightening in the gut, uh, like something has to happen or else. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that's when, when our, our body can even signal to us that uh, we're not resting in the leadership of Christ. Yeah. So honestly, life is full of battles, <laughs> often going to feel like we're losing. I can say that just being in 
this current stage of life with a toddler, I rarely feel like I'm winning. Like I lost the battle of nap time every single day this weekend, three days in a row. And I don't know what he's doing today at daycare. But it's like, I don't even know where to go from here. And that's even just a minor example. Like we all have areas of life where we feel like we're losing or there's a struggle. And you acknowledged a lot of these yesterday in our jobs, in our financial situations and parenting and our marriages and other relationships, maybe even our personal health and well-being or in the political sphere. So my next question is, when we lose the battle, what happens to our hearts? Where do we find ourselves turning? I love that you brought up an example from regular life, the loss of nap time, because sometimes when we think about loss, we're thinking about huge, significant questions, but the gospel applies to real life. And um, there are battles, both big and small. Losing is not something that we do well. Uh, We're so success oriented in America. Sometimes everything feels like a competition. And so when we experience powerlessness, most of the time we grasp for power. And I think we're seeing a lot of that in the psychology of politics. And I think politicians now more than ever are playing off people's fear, manipulating people into thinking that their candidacy can somehow reclaim that lost personal power. And that's an interesting modern picture of a theological term called federal headship, Mm -hmm. um, where the leader is representing the welfare of the people. We see that in Samuel's story with both Eli and Samuel, you know, as it goes with the priest, so it goes with Israel. In In a fascinating way, I think we're living that again in American politics. But the representation of earthly politicians is false. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Outside of Jesus, no human being can serve as a redemptive representative. And I find it fascinating that a sense that people want federal headship today, and and maybe God will even use this desire to bring renewal to to both church and culture in our time. Uh, Reflecting a little bit more on that idea, you know, in the 80s and the 90s, there was this draw towards the eminent. Our culture was trying to make sense of life through experience. Uh, Think Breakfast Club, film from the 80s, or the show Friends with Phoebe back (laughs) in the 90s. You know, churches were reaching people in very eminent ways in the 80s and 90s. Saddleback Church in Los Angeles is a great example. Um, There was kind of a sense of we need to understand what the gospel means for people in real life. We need to design church ministry around felt needs. We need to put the Bible in the layman's hands, so to speak. And God used that in significant ways. But then we move into the 2000s and 9-11 happened and forces beyond our imagination shook society to its core. And then all of a sudden we see that, okay, well, maybe the imminent doesn't hold all the answers after all. And ever since then, there's been this disenchantment, I think, with the imminent. And now we're finding this reach for the transcendent. And this disillusionment with the imminent drives us in a sense or draws us to the transcendent. And amidst our powerlessness, there is a profound desire today to follow a leader who can transcend and secure reality. 
I think we're witnessing the rise of distinct sociopolitical movements not seen since the civil rights era that attempt to give meaning to the imminent from the transcendent. These big sweeping movements can somehow make a, help us make sense of our on the ground mundane reality. So reading the situation this way, this becomes a profound opportunity for the gospel and the church. The reality is, is that sociopolitical movements will fail us as transcendent sources of salvation. Uh, Jesus alone is the transcendent God who became incarnate in the imminent. He invites us to come and follow him. Uh, true salvation will only be found in his leadership and his movement, which is the church. And this is why I think we're seeing traction with movements that are centered on discipleship, such as practicing the way John Mark Comer here locally, or the rise of denominations that are anchored in historic Christian practice that transcend the ages. Such developments are bringing about God's renewal in people's lives because they are tapping into trustworthy ancient practice that has transcended time, space, and culture. Yeah. So when we find ourselves losing, losing ground or whatever it is, our hearts are seeking someplace to just further secure our identity. Like we're feeling unmoored. And so we immediately start grabbing for something that feels like solid ground or that makes sense of things, which is usually a kingdom of some sort. It sounds like whether that's the imminent or the transcendent, whatever we think will secure our reality and help us make sense of things. And I'm really curious about this movement to reconnect with God by these more historic Christian practices and traditions. I know I'm drawn to that personally, and I'm not even sure I could articulate why, but I hear you saying that in some ways it's because they're practices that seek to draw us closer to the voice of God, to the word of the Lord, like we talked about last week. Yeah, for sure. And I'm excited about the journey that God has us on at Oaks Parish and just uh, continuing um, to develop and enjoy these historic Christian practices that have transcended space and time and culture. Yeah. So in first Samuel, Israel loses this battle. And you pointed out that in the history of Israel, they never lost when they sought the Lord. And perhaps we need to clarify that a little bit as it relates to our own circumstances, because we don't want this to create an image of God being like a good luck charm that we say the right words in prayer. And then we never face any hardship or we never feel like we're losing or we never struggle. Even in this narrative, Israel loses the battle, but then we know that in the greater context that the war is won. So how does this narrative perhaps provide for us a different perspective on losing and winning? Yeah, I think ultimately we see in this narrative God's grace, that even when we fail, that even when we go it alone without him, uh, that his grace is big enough for that. Uh, we see that in the prodigal son story, for example. I think the gospel reframes actually our understanding of winning and losing. If our greatest enemies in life are the power of sin and death, and Jesus has already defeated those ultimate enemies, then life in Christ is really a victory parade, even as we walk through what feels like lost. Perhaps that's a great way to understand the, the Eucharistic meal of communion, that each and every Sunday we're, we're celebrating this ultimate victory, and that helps us make sense of the battles of life. So if our greatest foes have been defeated by God himself, it changes how we face both the ups and the downs 
of life. Uh, We can see the good and the bad as events outside of ourselves, outside of our identity, unable to assail our identity. Uh, We can embrace the wins with gladness uh, and embrace the defeats with sorrow. Yet we can know that neither success or failure, however you want to frame it, none of those things will ultimately define our existence. Uh, We're something wholly different, wholly other in Christ. So God's direction uh, can be categorized, as I mentioned in the sermon, as using this framework of of fight, freeze, or flight. Um, And I think that those categories even provide uh, a different sort of uh, experience than uh, just the um, kind of the diametrically opposed positions of winning and losing. Sometimes God calls us to freeze. He wants us to wait on him because he's working in the background. Uh, sometimes he causes us uh, to flee. He wants us to exit a situation uh, because it's not good for us. And he wants us, he wants to give us good things. Um, sometimes he, he wants us to fight and that's hard work, but uh, he is with us. So these are not necessarily categories that we celebrate in our culture, um, but it's noteworthy to see that Israel didn't conquer Egypt. Uh, the people of God fled Egypt, for example, trusting promises, the promises of God uh, for another land. So it's just, I think, a biblical understanding of, of um of consulting God in the battle. It's just different from just simply winning and losing. Yeah, that's really good. As we begin to wrap up, you mentioned this question throughout and then left it uh, with us at the end as well. And you've said it a few times throughout our podcast today, but as for each of us to consider this daily prayer, Lord, what would you have for me? Um, maybe, maybe, like I said, we pray that daily or in specific situations, but I kept thinking, yes, that's, that's the prayer that I want, you know, on my lips every day, every morning, when I wake up before I begin my day, when I find myself in the middle of a really difficult situation, when I'm confused or frustrated, afraid, you name it. Those are the first words that I want to come to mind. And I want to open my eyes and my ears to the way that God is responding, which is a cool connection kind of to last week's conversation, all about hearing the word of the Lord. But also I want this, not just for myself personally, but what would it be like for us as a community, as a congregation to pray those words together? Lord, what would you have for us? What would you have for us at Oaks Parish? Um, I'm extremely grateful that I know that you, that our elders, our leadership at Oaks Parish are always seeking the Lord's guidance and wisdom, following his leading from one week to the next or one stage to the next. And I think as a church body, can we come alongside and pray this together as well? You know, whether it's in support of our missional partners or the local needs that we see, Lord, what would you have for us? Or if it's in relation to discipling our children as a community, Lord, what would you have for us? Even if it's financially, whether we're in a time of need or a time of plenty, asking that question again or praying that, Lord, what would you have for us? So I can only imagine the ways that God could lead us and answer us when we surrender our community to him, when we seek his lordship that way. Yeah, it's interesting to note in chapter four that this battle wasn't an individual battle. 
but it was a battle that the community was engaged in, a, a battle that the community was trying to figure out. And I think there's a way in which just, you know, speaking for myself and, and speaking from a position of called leadership in our community, there is a sense in which like, it's my job to, to make sure that we're doing the things behind the scenes that, that need to be done and, and we're pursuing wisdom and we're making decisions to the best of our ability. But there are also things that um, unfold in the life of the church where it's really good for me, for our elders, for our leadership to come before our church and say, you know, this thing's going on and we don't have all of the answers. And we just want to invite the community to prayer. Lord, what would you have for us? And I just, I love the picture of just of us growing as a vulnerable community of prayer. Um, and I would just, I just encourage everyone listening uh, here on this podcast, uh, just be praying for Oaks Parish. Lord, what would you have for us? Um, because that just opens up a world of possibility for God to lead us. Yeah, that's really beautiful. I think that's a perfect note to end on. Um, something inspiring and, and action that we can all take, but also with open hands, knowing that God will lead us. So we have been covering so much in these conversations from week to week, but even still, there's still more to talk about. There's always more to talk about. So a quick reminder that you're invited to submit your questions for our Q&A episode at oaksparish.org slash podcast. We're going to expand the parameters a little bit. If you have questions about 1 Samuel and what we've discussed so far, that's great. But also if you have another burning question about scripture or if you want a reading recommendation or if you want to know how Brian is able to grow a palm tree in Oregon, I think that's a true thing, right? It is. (laughs) We'll take all your questions within reason, of course, but ask away and we will handle those in the November 27th episode. So again, click the button for submitting your questions at oaksparish.org slash podcast, and we'll look forward to handling those. Well, thank you for joining us for today's conversation. May you go in peace and we will talk more next week. Bye.